everybody, it's me, Eric. I hope you're all enjoying Season 2 so far. This is the first time I'm adding an intro to an episode that isn't a season premiere, and that's because I have two requests for you. A couple of months ago, I lost a bunch of audio recordings for the podcast. I was thankfully able to get most of them back, though not without a fair bit of panic, but not all of them. One of the files that I wasn't able to recover was my primary audio file for this upcoming episode. I had a backup audio file, but there are some problems with it. You'll notice that it sounds cut off or warped in some places. There were other places where it was incomprehensible, and so I had to re-record a few pieces. You'll probably notice those too. I tell you this because the audio quality of this podcast is super important to me, and I want to be upfront with you when that quality falls below that standard. So my first request is your patience with the audio quality of this episode, though the content is still all there. My second request requires a bit more work. We're constantly trying to grow our audience, and the best way for that to happen is recommendations from those of you who already listen. So what I'd love for each of you to do is to take a moment to think of someone who you think would be interested in our podcast, and to tell them about it. As someone who can be overwhelmed by the idea of sending a single text, I know this might sound easier said than done. But if all of our listeners can share the podcast with one other person, it would go a long way in helping us grow our audience. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks again for all your support, and enjoy Season 2, Episode 6. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. And I think, like, the, the physical nature of it, like, the idea that this is something creepy that you can actually, like, hold in your hands and is tangible is uh, sort of what's really unsettling. Portia, you're just kind of scanning the horizon for a second, and you think you see off in the distance something moving, and you think it was big. I am going to, like, try to signal to him not to tell about those two things. Clifford is, you know, interviewing Montgomery Green about Arthur Hunt. Said he was going to change the face of the earth with what he was working on down there at the plant. And then Clifford says something unintelligible, and Monty says, You know what? I believed him. We've heard now a couple times the line of Hunt wanting to change the face of the earth. That's the thing. I didn't bleed hardly at all, just on a finger. The finger was wrapped in gauze, so he saw the bandage. I think he smelt it. Ew, that's creepy. I think uh, the bit about being able to smell the blood, uh, you know, uh, all of our eyebrows kind of raise. I keep thinking about the question in the beginning of like, what's the craziest thing? And it's like, time travel. It's not so crazy anymore. You think that you are probably suffering from low-grade radiation poisoning. Yes, this is uh, Sheriff Mann. Agent Lau, I, I believe that there's a reporter in town. Ben got called to the principal's office. Hellbend, California. March 5th, 2016. Jarvis Green was in the middle of a full-blown panic attack as he drove back into town, away from the hunt plant, away from the bobcat and away from Clifford. Jesus Christ, Clifford, holy shit, what the hell happened? Those words, and few others, ran over and over in Jarvis's head as his car rumbled off the dirt path and back onto the main road back into Hellbend. Jarvis started to calm himself down, and, realizing he needed to take a moment to think, he pulled off onto the shoulder of the road. I can't go to the police. Not yet. It's too risky. Jarvis didn't have anything to do with Clifford's death, obviously. He had just gone out there to find the bobcat, and what he found nearly overwhelmed him. But Clifford's death meant the police, and the police meant an investigation. And an investigation that was in any way connected to Jarvis was something that he did not need right now. I'm already wanted in one state. I don't need to make it two. Jarvis took a deep breath, started up his car again, and started making his way back to the gas and sip. With any luck, his grandfather wouldn't hear his car pull in, and he'd be able to clean things up before contacting the police. God damn it, Clifford. What did you get yourself into? Well, you're just going to have to wait out there for a bit. I'm sure you're not going anywhere. Jarvis pulled his car into the gas and sip as quietly as possible, carefully opened and closed the door, and rushed inside. He made his way down to the basement, trying to move silently, and looked over his setup. All this hard work down the drain, but better to waste it than to let anybody find out. He began to disassemble the sun lamps and load them into boxes. Then he started pulling plants from the dirt they were living in and throwing them into a trash bag. It took him nearly four hours to make it look as though the basement had been empty all along. Then he hurried off to the police station. 
He'd just have to hope that nobody noticed those missing four hours. I mentioned this a little bit uh, a couple of episodes ago, um, but that I didn't get started playing role-playing games until college, and it was really kind of happenstance that um, a few of my friends all kind of talked at the same time about how we had always wanted to play D&D. I had some friends in high school that played, uh, but they really kept it under wraps, and for some reason I never actually got the invite to play with them. So I didn't really start playing until then, but you know, especially early on in my early 20s, as I was starting to play more consistently, it was like a hobby that I kind of didn't talk about with a lot of people. You know, I think D&D and role-playing games in general have a little bit of a, a taboo, not like it was in the 80s when like people thought it was like demon worship. Uh, but I still think people like kind of look at you sometimes a little weird when you say that you play Dungeons and Dragons or they like laugh awkwardly. Um I don't feel it quite as much as I did early on, um, but still, even in, with some people, I'm like, I really want to like tell you this. Like, is this is this going to change your opinion about me? Like, are you gonna? I mean, I I, I embrace my my being a nerd, but um, I hesitate sometimes. Do you have a hobby that you like either now or used to like hesitate to tell people about, or like think people thought you were weird when you would tell them about it? I mean, all of my hobbies. <laughs> can um, you be more specific yeah no, i mean i i would agree like i i think the reason that i've stayed away from rpgs for i mean my entire life up until now was partly for that reason like either not wanting to tell people that i or not wanting to get into them so that i didn't have to tell people that i was into them but then also like not feeling uh okay like broaching the question with friends like hey do we want to do this but yeah um I mean, I'm a big uh, rom-com fan. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, Sarah, I won't watch The Bachelor with you guys, but I'll watch any rom-com you'd like. Okay, that's probably The Bachelor situation probably stewed my understanding. I mean, you should, you sh- you should watch The Bachelor, though. Um. <laughs> we, can, we can fight about this later. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> everyone, should al- everyone should also be watching Love Island as well. <laughs> Thank you, Bex. No, it's so right. I can't. I can't do any. Skip the Bachelor. Go straight to Love Island. <laughs> I can't do any of the 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 love based reality shows. Um, maybe just I don't know. A bit pretentious. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Never never wanted to. You know, on a Friday night, hanging out with people like, hey, we want to throw on uh, you know thirteen going on thirty. Uh, <laughs> and uh, classic, classic. classic. I don't know. I mean, my favorite sport growing up has always been golf. That's always kind of a, a kind of a lame uh, sport to play. Sometimes it's a bit better now. I feel like it's the sport that people get into like in their late twenties when they can't play anything else anymore. And yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's many others. So those are the first ones that are coming to mind. Maybe I should know this, but you're not you're not from the the tri-state area, right? You're not no. you're not originally from the New York area. No, I'm from uh from the Bay Area. So interesting that you say that about golf because I feel like the like the the Wall Street businessmen in New York, golf is like everybody's favorite sport. They're like, oh yeah, you know, totally. I, play, yeah. I, I played 18 on Saturday, <laughs> and and that's what I mean. Like once you once you get out of college, sort of, and yeah, you're in that like you can throw out playing golf sort of um <laughs> it's it's cool again all of a sudden like all, i mean all my friends who never played growing up are now starting to play um and but like as a you know in high school when i'd like show up to school in like my varsity jacket for a golf match it'd be like really i think that's fair <laughs> that's fair 
what about the yeah. other two of you? Any any hobbies that you try to or used to try to keep hidden? I feel also like I have a lot of nerdy hobbies. I, like I always have to qualify them when I tell people about them. I don't know. There's like, like a philosophy lecture group that I go to and that's like pretty nerdy. Sometimes they go upstate. Like that's one of my favorite activities or like I mean, Eric, you know, but a book club where we're, like, rereading the books we read in college. Like, the, well, and this one really goes into role-playing, but, like, The Sims. Played a lot of The Sims during I the pandemic. The <laughs> Just, it got me through, like, last summer. I'm like, what did I do last summer? Like, you couldn't go anywhere. Like, I don't know, New York was closed. I just, I think I played just a lot of Sims in the air conditioning. So this is better. Um, for me, I don't, I I feel like not, not a hobby so much as like an interest, but um, when I was in high school, I was really into um, like death metal. I was really into like, uh, like it specifically Scandinavian death metal. Um, and uh, none, none of my friends really, like most of my friends were listening to like, you know, like rap or, uh, you know, the strokes and like, you know, stuff like that, which I also listen to, but I feel like... Uh, <laughs> I always had to be kind of like uh, careful about like what I put on uh, when I had people in the car with me because like sometimes I would just start up my car and it would just be like screaming metal. So it's <laughs> amazing. Did you amazing. did you wear Scandinavian death metal band T-shirts? Not not really, not really. I don't think so. I had um, oh. I think I had like an In Flames T-shirt because um, I I went to one of their shows, but. No, I don't think I was like advertising. I mean, people people that were friends would be like knew that I listened to it. I guess it was just more of like I was, <laughs> I was just like trying not to not to listen to it when people are around for fear of being judged. <laughs> I, I can't say that I've listened to a lot of Scandinavian death metal, but um, I I don't think that I would judge you if I heard it. But I I, I can't I'll, say I'll that for sure. I'll make you a playlist. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> to to like to bring it back to. The question from a couple episodes ago uh, about like what we would uh, do differently in college or whatever. I think, I mean, I would go back even further, although way to like you know elementary school and high school. Like that would certainly be one of the things that I would do differently as well. Just like going like head first, like full in on all of the weird hobbies that I have and not giving a shit. Uh, <laughs> who cared? I feel the exact same way, but also I know exactly why I didn't then too. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's it's weird to be in a place yeah. where you feel confident now to like be okay diving into those things but also you know thinking back and realizing like i mean some of the like concerns that i had were like very real some of them weren't but some of them <laughs> some of them felt very real um or certainly felt real then so i'm doubting whether ben or portia or sunny had any hobbies mm. that were quite so weird they seem like people who are a little more um what's the word i'm looking for um like regimented or like yeah st straight laced know. maybe i'm i'm not sure there maybe ben's a little maybe maybe ben's a little weird but it's like too goal focused to have any sort of uh you know extra hobbies that are taking away from our, our our missions or or jobs or whatever maybe but you know maybe maybe we'll yeah. maybe we'll come to find uh some some weird hobbies that the, that any of them have over the the course of the rest of this adventure and if they survive other adventures. Ben really feels left out as the only non-surfer of the group. <laughs> <laughs> well, Portia doesn't surf. She just like open water swims. Got it, got it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> set the record straight. Eric, thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, the, if they survive, just really emphasizing that. I appreciate it. Just want to make sure that that the uh, the expectations are clear. That it's possible that not all three or any of them survive this. Again, only if something weird's happening. Which who knows? Maybe it's not. There's only a little bit of radiation that you've experienced so far. Um, so as we pick things back up, the three of you are investigating um, two murders that happened in a tiny, rundown town, Hellbend, California, in in Death Valley National Park. All three of you are officially investigating for the program or Delta Green. Two of you, um, Sunny Lau and Portia Marks, are investigating also officially as FBI consultants. And Ben McKissick, a New York Times reporter who covers stories like these, 
has been assigned to cover these deaths as part of a potential story for the Times. When we left off, Sonny had gotten a call in the morning from Sheriff Alfred Mann, uh, who is the Inyo County Sheriff, uh, the, the head Inyo County Sheriff, who had told him early in the morning um, on uh, May 11th, is the second day of your investigation, that there was a reporter around, sniffing around. So what do you, um, what do you say to him, Sonny, after he lets you know um, that, that there's... Um, there's somebody has somebody has told him that there's a reporter kind of looking around at things. Uh, yeah, I mean it's <clears throat> it's pretty early in the morning, Sheriff, but I I appreciate the the call. Uh, you know, my partner and I, uh, Agent Marks, we haven't uh, we haven't we haven't seen uh, any signs of a reporter around town as of now, but uh, you know we'll 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 definitely keep our eyes open uh, as something to uh, to look out for, but. I mean, so far, uh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's much to be concerned about. You know, the reporters, uh, pop up for these kind of things, uh, you know, every now and then, but we'll make sure to, to, to keep the investigation under wraps and, uh, uh, and make sure, uh, that we're, we're handling that. Remind me, what's your, um, what's your persuade skill? We are at a 50. All right. Yeah. So, so you're able to, um, able to kind of quell his fears a little bit and uh you know just kind of reassure him that you'll you'll keep an eye out and he uh he thanks you and and hangs up so you know it's relatively early in the morning none of you are feeling particularly great because as you discovered last night you're all suffering from um low-grade radiation poisoning um from something uh, though, you know, you're feeling a little bit better, and so you think maybe the precautions that you took last night by taking the gold cube and putting it in the the lead-lined glove um, and taking everything out to your car, you know, potentially uh, helped a little bit in in um, fighting off some of the effects. And so whatever is, is radioactive uh, potentially was was in that, um, in that set of items. Um, so what do you think the three of you are what's your plan for the day you know where where are you where, where does the where will the investigation lead you next i'm headed off to interview montgomery green and hopefully um get a little bit more information as far as um you know the the interviews with clifford and and the tapes um and you know hopefully uncover a little bit about his um his background and his experience working at hunt that's right um you think, Sonny, that you you know Ben's going to go be doing this? Are you going to let him know that there's some suspicion about him happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, early on, uh, later in the morning, after you know trying to get a a little bit more sleep, probably not being able to actually fall back asleep, but uh, at least waiting a a little bit, going in and chatting with both Portia and Ben, letting Ben know that uh, you know he has eyes on him, that someone that he came in contact with yesterday has, uh, you know, made it a point to let others know that the reporters in town, um, and that they're not super happy about it. So, so yeah, I'm not sure if there's any discussion we want to have about, you know, Ben doing anything or, or the three of us, I guess, doing anything to help Ben, uh, get to, uh, to the interview, not safely, but covertly, I would say. I feel like, yeah, the interview, I don't feel too worried about the interview, like just going to the gas and sip, seeing Monty. But maybe if we want to plan like our next steps or steps around that, I feel like we have to, we really should get out to the hunt plant at some point. I don't know if today is sure. the day. Probably after the interviews, I feel like we'll get a lot of good information from the interviews. And maybe we listen to the rest of the tapes. I guess my, my, only, my only concern is just, I mean... From what Ben told us, you know, Jarvis was one of the only people that he, other than uh, uh, Emily Warren, other other than her, Jarvis was the only person that he came in contact with. So if there's someone who kind of ratted him out to the to the sheriff, it's very possible it was Jarvis. So kind of sending him there to be alone with them, I'm not sure oh. if that's the best idea. Oh, I, now I see. Got you. Okay. But Ben, if you if you feel okay with I that, would, I just have a good yeah, feeling. Yeah, I think I think Ben's pretty headstrong, and he's he's probably just gonna just gonna go anyway. I mean, um, you know, uh, I think he should be relatively safe. Hopefully, we'll see. But um, 
but yeah, I I, I think that uh, that Montgomery is like probably the best the best possible lead just because of being um, you know the assistant you know so I think I think it's I think it's worth it to go. Plus, I just have a good feeling about him. I feel like he wants to talk about it. He was like telling Clifford so much. There's so many tapes that I think it's gonna be good. I think he's gonna be happy to talk. I think the only the only uh, plans of mine that have changed, like based on this information, is I I feel like I was uh, I was considering trying to talk to like the sheriff at some point, and I think that's like I think that's kind of off the table right now. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely stay away from from Independence or um, or the the Furnace Creek Station where uh, where Deputy Andrasi's at. But yeah, I, I mean. Not going to stop you from going to the interview, I guess, but maybe just keep your eyes on on Jarvis a little bit while you're you're talking with with Montgomery. Sure. And then, so what do you think Agent Marks and Agent Lau are going to do um, while Ben is at the interview? So since we're you know we've been called in to figure out what's going on with these strange deaths, I think it makes sense for us to visit Emily Warren as well. Um, obviously, no one knows that we have information about her from Ben. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is really related, but I am very curious about everyone saying that she didn't seem adventurous and that she didn't like living in Hellbend, and yet she was there. I'd just like to know more about that. I don't think anybody said that she didn't like living in Hellbend, just that she's not, that she wasn't outdoorsy, so she wouldn't have, like, ventured mm, out into the okay. into the wilderness. Um, because she she was just okay. she wasn't adventurous and she wasn't you know that wasn't her she wasn't you know, like a good survivalist or anything so she wouldn't have she wouldn't have gone okay. out further or they're saying she wouldn't have gone out further Two than where out. she normally did which was just kind of on the, mm. the edges of town. Okay, like I'm just thinking it would we have so much information that's making it seem like I don't or we don't necessarily need to do this, but it would make sense if an FBI agent got called in to like also do a search of their house. And just look at her personal artifacts. You know, does she have labeled tapes and things? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's worth it after after you know seeing what we found at at Clifford's house. If there's if there's no one else uh, connected with him to talk to, which I don't think we've heard uh, anything like that, then yeah, I think maybe seeing if something similar is at uh, Lucille and um, uh, and Emily's house. Um, I think that's a good place to, to start for the day and hopefully won't draw uh, too, too much attention or anything like that. Should we also kind of follow in Ben's tracks? Like, they don't know that we'd be doing that, but would it kind of be weird if we were, if we'd been to Clifford's and realized that he was talking to Monty all the time and then didn't go and talk to Monty and Jarvis? We probably should also talk to them, right? Maybe at some point. I think it, it, would, it, would, uh, okay. it would draw a bit more attention or maybe make them less willing to talk if all three of us showed up together uh, to kind of, yeah, you know, overwhelm them. Yeah. And so it sounds like the plan is for Ben to go back to the gas and sip to speak with Montgomery and or the agents to go to Emily Warren and Lucille Mayer's uh, place to speak with her. Those places are pretty close uh, to each other. You know, the, the Warren Mayer estate is... Uh, you know, just a little bit down the road from the gas and sip. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, you know that uh, that's, I'm not saying that to, um, to you know, put you off that plan of action, just to kind of tell you that you'll, you'll all be in kind of a similar proximity to each other. Um, as this is happening in case, you know, anything happens. I think that, I think that makes sense for you guys to be close by in case, you know, something goes south. Yeah. In case you need True. to yeah, get out of the interview quicker in case we get another call from, the sheriff or something alerting us to what's going on. Do we want to talk about the the items? If there's anything that we need to to do with them, if we are we're gonna keep them in the car with us, Portia? Oh yeah. I don't I'm not sure if we have another option. Yeah, it doesn't seem safe to leave them in a hotel room, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I guess we keep them. I mean the only other thing you can think of is if we could get a lead box to put them in, but that Yeah, I mean that I don't feel like they're gonna have that at the gas and sip. So. I guess that's a, that's a question for for our handler here, if, they, if we have access to that kind of uh, equipment. Yeah, so you could potentially find something like that there. Maybe that maybe you would be able to find it. Maybe you wouldn't. 
Um, you'd probably be more likely to be able to find something like that, you know, back in Bakersfield or in Fresno. Um, but th that's obviously a, a longer drive. You do think, I mean, and, you know, I think you, you already started to kind of think about this a little bit when when Special Agent Slotkin called last night and you both kind of had the, the inclination to not share about the items that you found. I think that asking for something like a lead box through channels like that might cause more suspicion or raise more alarms than I think you probably want to have raised. Yeah, if we were going to acquire it, we would want to... Uh, it would be a Delta Green It would be a Delta ask. Green ask where it would be something that we could, you know, find or makeshift on our own. But if that's not the case, and I, maybe it's not worth a four-hour drive uh, into a you know a larger city, then I think, unfortunately, just keeping them in the, the back of the car is the best option we have. Maybe like maybe in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. Like definitely, yeah. Put it in the back. Maybe if we like wrapped it up in like the bulletproof vest, and definitely keep the cube in the glove and put the gloves kind of on top. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Throw some magnets in there. I don't know. Sure Let us know if we're, if we're talking too much about the uh, about the items. You know, we have radiation poisoning. We're freaking out. No, I mean, I, I, I think I think it's logical to like be very concerned about that. No, I think that you think that if the cube is the primary concern, then the glove seems to be doing a reasonable job of keeping that um, you know, under wraps. You also think that while it, while somewhere in Independence might not have a lead box easily accessible, Geiger counter is probably something that you could find. A what? Oh, sorry, a Geiger counter, a, a, a thing that, that that tracks how much radiation is in the area. You would oh, probably have okay. to go back to Independence to do that, but you probably could do that. You probably could get something like that without arousing as much suspicion as a lead box because Geiger counter is considered precautionary. A lead box is, we have something radioactive that we need to keep um, keep protected, mm. right? So it's a, I think they're, they're on a slightly different scale there. Like you could order a Geiger counter from Amazon. Not you couldn't in this situation, but like I could order a Geiger counter on Amazon. Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. Maybe, maybe we need someone in disguise to go and get one later. But <laughs> um, on this note, I think Portia will also get up early and like, you know, go for a swim. And then I'd like to read, like flip through those books a little bit that we found from Clifford's house and just get a bit more familiar with like radioactivity in general. Independence is about a two hour drop. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. I was going to say, if you wanted to continue researching before we went to, uh, to Emily Warren's house, I guess get, I did, getting a Geiger counter does seem like a good idea to have, not just to, to check the materials that we have, the items that we have, but, you know, as a safety precaution going forward. So I'd be willing to, to drive to independence to, to get that if you wanted to, to stay and research. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds good. If you go, you go kind of early in the morning and then, you know, you can, you can make it back in time to, you know, speak with Emily and, and, um, you know, hopefully we can like meet back up later and later in the day. So I guess we're all we're all splitting up then, yeah. All right, sounds good. Okay, so so, um, so Agent Marks is going to continue to do some research, um, flip through some of the books that um, you all found at Clifford Potter's house. Uh, Agent Lau is going to drive back to Independence to try to acquire a Geiger counter, and Ben is going to go do his interview with Montgomery Green. And so we're going to start there. Ben, you pull up to the gas and sip. There's another car there. Uh, looks like another local who uh, is just kind of finishing up. Um, and they're they're leaving as you uh, as you arrive. And Jarvis is just walking back outside as you pull up. I uh, kind of, uh, you know, roll the window down and... and like stick my arm out and kind of wave to Jarvis and uh, pull in and and park the car at the gas and sit. You notice that the the person leaving kind of gives you, you know, a little bit of a lingering glance, like they recognize that you're someone that they don't recognize, but you know they don't stop or anything like that and they they leave. Jarvis, uh, he doesn't make his way toward you or anything, but you know stays standing and seems you know kind of waves to you when you wave at him and. 
and seems to be waiting for you to uh, to come up to him. And when when you do, he he uh, he greets you and says, "I talk to my uh, to my grandpa. He's willing to talk to you. Uh, he's up, you know. He's a, he's an early riser, uh, so he's he's upstairs. If you uh, want to go talk to him, sure, that sounds good. Uh, thanks so much. Would, uh, would you mind showing me the way? He leads you back into the gas and sip. Um, you know, you you noticed it yesterday, but um, there's a there's a hallway kind of connected to the area that they have set up as the store. He takes you, leads you back there, and then up a set of stairs to what looks like a very small you know, kind of residential area for the two of them. There's an old man sitting up there. He's he's uh, he's sitting in a in a rocking chair upstairs like an old kind of rickety rocking chair he looks like he's 98 years old um you know almost white hair that you know there's not he doesn't have a lot of hair left um and when he uh you get up there jarvis says uh but this is uh this is the the guy that i was telling you about who uh who wanted to ask you some questions oh come in come in I'm Montgomery Green. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Montgomery. I'm I'm Ben McKissick. Uh, I'm I'm a reporter. I really appreciate you talking to me this morning. Oh, Jarvis didn't tell me you were a reporter. What are you What are you a reporter for? Well, I, I work for the New York Times, but uh, right now I'm I'm not really working on any particular story. I'm just kind of uh, uh I'm just curious about um uh, the area and specifically um. Specifically, hunt um, electrodynamics. I, I know you've had some experience there in the past. Yes, I, I think I'm the only one left that that worked at at the plant. Uh, you've come to the right place, and he just kind of chuckles. Great. I wanted to ask you, Montgomery, when when did you start um, working at Hunt? Well, I I was honorably discharged from the service in 1945, and uh, you know, went back home and was looking for something to do with my life, and I saw a want ad in the newspaper, and I, I reached out, thought it was something that might fit me, and and when I answered the ad, that's when I first met Arthur Hunt, the man behind Hunt Electrodynamics, and also at this point, Jarvis has um, gone back downstairs. Okay, how would you describe Arthur Hunt? He was a genius, first of all. Uh, I he was a he was a brilliant man. He he could speak and read twelve different languages. He said he had a a photographic memory. I I've seemed like he could memorize anything in in just a moment. He 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 could recall anything that he had ever read or heard or seen perfectly. It, it seemed to me could draw exact duplicates of things he had only seen one time and he never used a ruler or a guide all, all the plans that he made for for the the equipment that we made for the the patents that he set up he he drew by hand with no tools but i didn't see i've never seen plans that were drawn as perfectly as his he, he would he would read three to five books a day even you know as he continued to to work and keep a, a grueling schedule I, I had to pick up the books for him. Now, early on, he read a lot about politics and religion and current events, and he sort of, in his in his last days, had shifted to topics about the military and history of world conflict. What kind of work did you do at Hunt? What was what was a normal day for you, and and kind of what were your duties there? I was, for all intents and purposes, his personal assistant. So I. I did anything that he needed me to do. You know, and he was a he was a bit of a he was a bit of a strange man. He was also a hard man. He he would hurl insults at, at folks, uh and me sometimes, but you know, I was in the military. I, I was used to it, so it, it didn't really bother me. But I, I know a, a lot of people didn't like him very much. But you know, he, he had some he had some eccentricities that uh you know were really part of my responsibility. He he only very carefully prepared vegetables and you know I so I had to make sure that, that the vegetables that that I that I prepared for him were very cleaned very well cleaned and in fact he would only eat vegetables that I prepared and he would know if if I wasn't the one who had done it I did whatever he needed me to do I would move things around for him he he didn't didn't like going out in the daylight so I I would 
know, if, if anything needed to be, if, if he needed any errands run for him or anything, I, I usually would take care of those. Thank you, Montgomery. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about what I'm sure is a, a sensitive subject, but um, the explosion at the plant. Um, what what do you remember from that time? Were were you were you there that day? And um, and and what do you remember about um, kind of the that time? It it really was a tragic day. I I had been at the plant earlier that morning, and Arthur had sent me out on an errand. I, it's too long ago. I don't remember what I was to go get, but as I was coming back, I, I saw smoke in the of the, the rubble and the, the dust that had flown into the air. I, I didn't see it happen, but obviously I very quickly heard what had taken place. Uh, but I, I wasn't there. I, I didn't see anything happen. Do you know um, if there was, uh, if there were any other hunt employees that, um, that you know, uh, were, were out that day or that survived the, uh, the blast? Well, there were plenty of employees that that weren't there that day. I, 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 there were a few others who worked there who who were at the plant and and who who passed away. No one who was at the plant survived. Hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Clifford Potter. Um, h- how long did you know Mr. Potter? I, I've known Clifford a bit since since he lived here, which is for quite a while. I I, I also, as as you know, have have lived here. A very long time, almost 70 years or so. Uh, but I, I got to know Clifford a little better over the last few years. He he uh, he said he wanted to ask me some questions very similar to the ones you're asking me. He was interested in in, in hunt and 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 the plant. Uh, I think he I think he uh, you know found some valuables at the at the plant and and sparked his interest. I, I don't know exactly what he, why he wanted to know, but. Um, He'd been interviewing me. Uh, he, he would come here. He would record the interviews that we had. It, it was mostly about about Arthur and and the plant. Hmm. Did did he ever um, let on to you um, uh, about uh, what he found um, out at the plant? He may have mentioned some some scrap metal or, or something that he would sell. He'd drive into Independence and go sell. He seemed, I don't know, interested about something going on underneath the plant uh i i don't know i I never went down there and mr hunt never never really went down there either i i know there were some underground areas underneath the plant but i i I certainly didn't spend any time down there and neither did my boss how did you hear um about uh clifford's death and and um you know kind of what what thoughts were going through your head when you found out well it was was sad, but I, I I assumed that some sort of accident happened. You know, we live in a we live in an area of the world that's it's tough. It's 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 not easy living out here. Uh, I think that's I think that's part of what made it appealing to to Mister Hunt was was the remoteness of it, uh, the heat. You know, he I think he he enjoyed the heat. Uh, but anyways. Uh, you know, it, it's it's it was sad to hear about Clifford. I, I heard from I heard from Jarvis. Uh, I don't know if you know he was the one who he was the one who found Clifford's body uh, out near the plant. Uh, I, but as I say, I was I was sad to hear it. But you know, out here things like things like that happen sometimes. It's a hard place to live. It's maybe a miracle that I've lived as long as I have. Ninety-eight years old. Did I tell you that I'm ninety-eight years old, almost a hundred. I'm. I'm trying to make it there. You you did, sir. You uh, appear to be in great shape. I, I I think you'll I think you'll make it. Um, I I just have uh, one last question for you about Clifford. Um, did did he ever mention any any sort of um, uh, gold or or jewels or anything like that? No, I don't believe that he did. Uh, oh, he he talked about scrap metal. You know, maybe some copper wiring or copper pipes that he found at the plant but oh nothing about any gold or anything like that okay well i i really appreciate you giving me your time today and and um you know and speaking with me absolutely uh i always always happy to share some of my share some of my stories since i'm i'm the only one left with them why don't you give me a um an alertness check all right so that's a 20 
uh, exactly on your alertness score of 20. So as you're kind of wrapping up the interview, you hear uh, some voices from downstairs. Um, sounds like Jarvis is talking to someone who's in um, who's in the gas and sip. And you uh, you listen a little more closely and you hear Jarvis refer to whoever the person is as an officer. Uh, at this point, I, I uh, kind of turn to Montgomery and ask him um, if there is another way out of the gas and sip other than the front entrance. I'm assuming that it, um, since it was a um, kind of a converted, you know, former house or dwelling that, you know, maybe there's uh, like some sort of a back door. Yeah, he kind of chuckles and says, "Want to uh, make any small talk with Jarvis, eh? Uh, well, yes, there there is a back door. If you uh, head down the stairs and take a right, you'll uh, you'll come right to it." Thank you, Montgomery. I I'll be I'll be seeing you soon. And then I kind of uh, he he kind of nods his head toward the uh, toward the the back door, and I I head that way. And so we're gonna pause you there, um, heading down the stairs. Um, we're not going to dig too deeply into um, uh, Sunny your experience. It's a uh, you know it's a two hour drive there. It's a two hour drive back. But you're you're able to you're able to to find um, a Geiger counter um, for purchase in Independence. Anything that you're doing on the way, or are you just kind of keeping to yourself and keeping your thoughts in your own mind? I mean, I think I, I certainly have the the items with me, and still. You know, feeling a bit better, like you said, when we woke up this morning, but maybe just trying to keep some mental notes on, on how I'm feeling as I'm driving, you know, if being this close to the the items is affecting me in any way. I don't think it, it does. Uh, so maybe the precautions that we've taken are, are working out. I think other than, other than the case, uh, again, like you said, you know, a two-hour drive there and back, I think I'm starting to, to question whether or not I'll be able to make it back to, to San Diego in time to see to see Audrey. You know that it's probably probably not going to happen the way things are going right now. But uh, don't think I want to tell her that quite yet. Again, don't want to alarm her in any way. Still want to, I don't know, keep that keep the hope there that I'll be able to see her. And and yeah, other than that, I think it's I think trying to make you know. Uh, just trying to make good time, trying to get in and out of independence, get the Geiger counter, maybe not be seen by anyone there, if, if not necessary, uh, and then and then come right back so that we can uh, get going with our with our interviews and the rest of the day. Good. And Portia, you're um, are you back at the 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 hotel room, just kind of um, looking through some of the things, the the notebook and the map and the the books. Yeah, mostly the books and maybe even doing a bit of independent research on radiation, like what are the things that it can do? What are the dangers associated? You know, you you look a little bit into the books. They're they're pretty technical, you know, not not so much that you aren't able to kind of decipher them, but you know, they're you know, it, it's pretty technical scientific uh research. Uh but they deal with detection and identification of radiation sources primarily and you know, as you're leafing through, you see that there's, you know, like underlined some pages kind of flipped down. Nothing that stands out to you in particular, uh, but they they seem to have been, you know, well read by Clifford or by someone else. You know, you don't find anything that strikes you as particularly odd or kind of gives you an aha um, about anything that's going on, other than, as you already kind of suspect, Clifford thought that something that he was encountering. You know, potentially either the dragonfly or gold cube was radioactive, and he he had the same suspicions that that you uh, that you've had. And you know, it looks like he was researching what to do about it, how to find out. Yeah, just in like a little bit of research too, thinking about all the different things that radioactivity does, or that like radiation is used for. Obviously, medical things, which kind of got triggered in my mind when Monty mentioned living to be 100 years old. I'm wondering. I don't know, something else is going on here and the cleaning of the vegetables, like radiation can be used in cleaning things and water. I don't know, I got a lot of ideas now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, any of those things are, you know, maybe possible. Um, though I, I think those are Sarah conjectures at this point because um, 
Portia doesn't know about that. Yes, I don't which, know. That yeah, yet. which is fine. Which is fine. But you know, I think from and uh, Eric, I am no expert um, on radiation, certainly. But I think they're used in medical purposes for they use for like you know being able like shrinking tumor, right? Mm-hmm. Or 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 um, cat scans, X rays, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, so it you know it, it certainly could be um, something in that in that realm, but it doesn't seem like at least from your research that Clifford mm-hmm. wasn't researching the uses of radiation so much as he was the detection and potentially the effects of radiation, which um, you do see you know it, it can too much radiation can can kill you almost instantly um, you know if you're exposed to too much radiation, mm-hmm. um, prolonged exposure to even low levels of radiation can cause kind of the feelings that you were feeling like flu-like symptoms um it can cause male sterility okay yeah i'm just thinking big picture like or starting to think big picture what was going on at hunt electrodynamics if this is where these items were discovered so um so after a few hours agent lao is able is able to get to independence and return back with the geiger counter I assume the two of you, uh, Sonny and Portia, meet up and head to Emily Warren's house. Yeah, I'd say before we head out, it might be good to just to, you know, kind of confirm things we probably already know with the Geiger counter. Maybe checking the the items in the trunk and the other items that we found at Clifford's house. So the tapes and the, the notebook and things like that and just double check what we what we have on our hands, I guess. Sure. So, yeah, so you you run a few tests, you know, you, you try to kind of isolate some of the different items to, to get a sense of where I think the source of the radiation is. And so, you know, pretty quickly you come to the conclusion that it is actually the gold cube um, that is giving off the radiation. It does seem like, you know, when you do a test of, of the cube kind of wrapped in the or in, in a glove, that that is cutting off the radiation from affecting the area around it, but outside of the glove, emitting something to like 50 to 100 rems of radiation, which is you know, enough to, if you flu-like symptoms like you experienced, it's enough to, you know, if you were, if you had prolonged exposure, like over the course of days, um, could have some kind of lasting long-term effects, but probably not anything that's going to actually kill you. That's great news. I feel like then we can just keep it in the glove and we'll be fine. Yeah, I think that's you know exactly what we were we're hoping to to find, and so we're okay keeping the the items with us, keeping the cube in the in the gloves, and uh, and yeah, we'll just kind of keep the the Geiger counter on hand going forward. So um, from that point, you know, you uh, you after running your tests, you head out um, to uh, to Emily Warren's. I think that jumped us into the future a little bit. So um, let's go back to Ben. Ben, so why don't you um, why don't you give me a uh, a stealth roll? It's a fourteen under thirty, so that's a that is a success. So you um, you are walking down the stairs at the gas and sip, um, and before you turn right to head out the back door, you uh, you kind of glance to your left. And you see Jarvis is talking with um, a, a man dressed in a, um, a, a sheriff's uniform. Younger man, probably mid-twenties, blonde hair, kind of burly. I think you would know from um, from the descriptions given to you by colleagues, uh, by your fellow agents, that this is probably Deputy Sheriff Lucas Androzzi. It's like they are just having kind of a casual conversation. Doesn't seem like... Um, you know, anything in particular is going on per se. Are are they inside or outside the station? They're inside. They're like standing at the cash register. Okay. So I think I think it might make sense for me to maybe try to um, to kind of walk like down the road a little bit. Um, maybe like in if if they're like um, uh, you know maybe. I think we're in a neighborhood, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's basically like a gas and sip kind of on like a state highway kind of desert off into the distance in all directions. So you know, it's not like a it's not what you would consider like a subdivision, you know what I mean? Like it's right. it's just kind of a stretch of state highway with some houses and the gas and sip. 
Right. Yeah, I guess I guess there's probably not a lot of places uh, to remain unseen. Yeah. So all right. So I'm I'm thinking about this a little more. I think I think it probably makes the most sense for me to try to kind of kind of sneak my way around the building um, and then try to kind of make it um, to the car while they while um, Jarvis and uh, and the sheriff are kind of preoccupied inside um, and and I've parked a little like ways uh, away from the building so I'm not like directly in front so I I think I can kind of make it um, hopefully to the car without um, without you know being seen so you you kind of start sneaking your way around the building heading towards your car why don't you give me a luck roll All right so that's a 26 under 50 on the luck roll. And so you uh, you get around to your car, uh, you get in quietly, you shut the door quietly, flip on the engine and start kind of pulling away from the gas and sip and look back in your rearview mirror and that you see um, you see the sheriff's deputy and Jarvis walking out of the of the gas and sip and they don't seem to have noticed you uh, driving away though you do look and you see Jarvis kind of, looking around for a second maybe you know he knew your car was there maybe he's looking around for it but he doesn't say anything to the sheriff as the sheriff uh sheriff's deputy gets back in his uh in his patrol car and that is where we're going to end our story today we live to see another day that's true that's true another afternoon can't can't say we we did the most uh dangerous things today but uh This podcast was published by Arrangement with the Delta Green Partnership. The intellectual property known as Delta Green is a trademark and copyright owned by the Delta Green Partnership, who has licensed its use here. The scenario Future Perfect is copyright Dennis Detwiller, and the contents of this podcast are copyright Nature of My Game podcast, accepting those elements that are the components of the Delta Green intellectual property. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at NOMGPodcast.com.